Bible says, where we could be encouraged or challenged, Father, to just uh, be more like you every day. I pray you please help me and use me as I attempt to preach your word, Father, in your precious name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Exodus chapter number 34. And in Exodus 34, you know, I don't, I don't know if we realize it, how big of a deal this was, but in Exodus 34, we're still coming out of this huge... Uh, fiasco with the golden calf. Remember the golden calf they made while Moses was up on the mountain? And we've been dealing with this for a few chapters now in the aftermath of it, but we're still dealing with this issue. Uh, in the next chapter, they, they change the directions and get into a different thing here. But in, in Exodus 34, I, I don't want to be very long tonight. I just want to give you a few points, a few things to think about in regards to this passage. I do want to just by way of introduction show you this. Do you remember when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and he saw the people, they were dancing, they were naked, they were worshiping the golden calf. And remember he had the, the, the Ten Commandments that God had given him. Now the Bible tells us that God had cut the stone, and God had written on the stone with his finger. It was literally done by God. But Moses was so upset when he saw what the people were doing, that he took the commandments. Remember, he broke the commandments. Well, in Exodus chapter 34, we find God's response to that. Not, not part of the sermon, but I think it's interesting. I want you to see it. If you look at verse 1, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, look what he says, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first. So the first time God cut the stone, God cut the tables, and he gave it to Moses. The second time, God says, Hey Moses, you broke it, so you cut them this time. You know, I thought that was interesting, just something to, to note there. And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first table which thou breakest. If you skip down to verse 4, it says, And he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up unto the mount. So it's very interesting that Moses broke it, Moses had to fix it. He went and he... And by the way, that's a good principle just in life. You ever break something? Thing, you know, that's not yours. Were those commandments Moses's? Those were God's. <laughs> and he broke them, so he had to replace them. And that's just a good uh, uh, thing in, in life you ought to remember. You ever take somebody's thing, or you waste somebody's thing, or you or break somebody's thing, hey, you ought to replace it. So anyway, uh, like I said, not part of the sermon, but something to consider. Look at verse 2. God, well, look at verse 1 again. And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words uh, that were in the first table, which thou breakest. And be ready. Now, keep in mind, this is God talking to Moses. He said, And be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai, and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. Point number one, what I'd like you to see, is that Moses meets with God. And here's what I want you to understand from this. Moses meets with God again. I don't know if you've noticed it, as we've been going through the book of Exodus, but multiple times now we've seen Moses going up to the mount, or Moses going out to the tabernacle, or Moses going somewhere and meeting with God. And you know, I, I, I believe this is a picture, and I think we got to understand, if you're going to have a successful Christian life, you're going to have to learn to meet with God on a regular basis. You're going to have to learn to have time with God and have a long time with God, and some people call it having quiet time with God on a regular and, you know, honestly, on a daily basis. Here we see that Moses, you know, and we've studied Moses, we've seen such a great man, uh, just great character and different things about him. But one of the reasons I believe, and, the, and, and we saw how 
God said that He spoke with Moses as a friend speaketh unto a friend. And one of the reasons I believe Moses had such a great relationship with God, and one of the reasons that he was such a great leader and such a great man of God, is because Moses had a practice in his life of regularly meeting, regularly talking to, regularly listening to God. And you say, well, and as Christians, you and I ought to learn to have regular meetings, consistent meetings with God. Now, listen, we're not, we don't live in Old Testament Israel. We don't have a tabernacle that you're going to go to and the cloud's going to come down and God's going to speak to you out of it. But you know, we have the access to God, and honestly, we have more access to God than Moses did. We've got the complete Word of God in our hands. See, Moses, when Moses wanted to speak to God, there was, even though we saw it happen multiple times, it wasn't a lot that he got to go somewhere and have the cloud descend and audibly listen to God. But you and I have God's written word in our hands available to us every day. And I wonder how many times we open it up and read it. Wonder how many times we look at it, how many times we listen to Him. You and I have access to God every day. We can talk to God every day. You can talk to God in your head all the time. You can bow on your knees and pray and have communication and fellowship with God. And we can meet with God on a regular basis. Now, there's interesting things about this. God initiates this meeting. And notice what what He says. This is God speaking. Look at verse 2. God says, I want to meet with you, Moses. But I want to just give you a couple things about how to meet with God. Number one, God says, be ready, but notice, in the morning, and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai. You know, what that tells me is this, when does God want to meet with you? First thing in the morning. When does God, you say, why does God want to meet with me in the morning? Because He wants to have the first time of everything. He wants the first of your day. Hey, you say, why do we come to church on Sunday? Sunday is the first day of the week. God wants the first day of the week. So why do we tithe? Because God, you know, tithing is giving God the first 10%. Well, I don't know if you understand. We, sometimes we have this idea. Well, tithing is we give God 10%. No, tithing is not that we give God 10%. God, tithing is that we give God the first 10%. Amen. The word tithe is interchanged with the word first fruit in the Bible. The idea there is that when you get paid, it's not that you get paid and then you pay all your bills and then you pay God. It's that you get paid and you pay God first. You understand what I'm saying? And I know in our society it's a little different, but you know what that ought to mean is that you write God's check out first, or you take God's money out first. You make sure God's taken care of first. God always, the Bible says that He might have preeminence. And you know, we ought to develop a character where we just learn to get up early in the morning. See, so many of us don't read the Bible in the morning, or pray in the morning, or have time in the morning, and, here, and, and let's just be very, you know, you're at Verity Baptist Church, you ought to be ready, you ought to be used to this by now. But let's just be very uh, practical tonight, alright? Let's be very uh, 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 blunt about it. Many of us don't meet with God in the morning just because of pure laziness. Call it what it is. We'd rather, we'd rather sleep in. You know, you go to bed late because you're watching God knows what. That you ought not be watching. You know, you stay up on the internet, you stay up on Facebook, you stay up on this, and then, and then we don't want to get up. And look, all of us struggle with this. I understand. I struggle with it. But we ought to develop. God, God said, Moses, I want to meet with you. And Moses says, when do you want to meet, God? For brunch? And God says, no, first thing in the morning. Amen. He said, Moses, get up early. Mm-hmm. Moses, get out of bed. Get dressed. Wash your face. Take a shower. Take, put some clothes on and go up to the mount and meet with me in the morning. But not only that, no, look at verse 2. And be ready in the morning and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai 
and present thyself there to me on top of the mount. Not only does God want to meet in the morning, but look at verse 3. And no man shall come up with thee. God wants to meet in the morning, and God wants to meet alone. Do you see that? See, so often the only times we meet with God is when we meet with God with other people. And look, we ought to come to church and be in a congregation and meet with God in, in, corporate, uh, in a corporate congregation. We understand that. And God ought to meet with us tonight on a Wednesday night as we study His Word. And God ought to meet with us uh, on a Sunday morning. And God ought to meet with us on a Sunday night. And God ought to meet with us when, we, when, when maybe you have a ladies' activity or you have a men's preaching night. And we ought to come together and have public times of prayer and public times of Bible reading and public times of, 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 of preaching the Word. But you know what? You ought to have a personal walk with God, a personal alone time where God says, Hey, it was nice before when the congregation was watching. It was nice before. Remember we talked about last? When Joshua was there, it was nice. But God says, every once in a while, Moses, I just want to get alone with you. Say, when should you get alone with God in the morning? When should you get alone with God? Well, you should get alone alone with God. See, so often we want to do what people can see. We want to serve when people can see us serving. We want to do things that other people see. But when people don't see us, see when you get up early in the morning when the rest of the family is still sleeping, and nobody sees you reading the Bible... That's true time with God. That's what God wants. He says, And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen uh, throughout all the mount, neither let the flock nor herds feed before that mount. we we got to find time in our schedules when we are alone by ourselves, get alone with God in, in the mornings, get, get, get with God. And I'm telling you, when you develop a consistent routine of meeting with God and meeting with God and meeting with God, that's going to develop a character and a blessing in your life. And that's why I believe Moses was so blessed. I said, number one, Moses meets with God. How does he meet with God? He meets with God in the morning. He meets with God alone. But we've got to ask this question. Why meet with God? What's the purpose of meeting with God? Look at verse number 5 there. Exodus chapter 34. Verse 5. Well, actually, look at verse 4. We already read it. But it says, And he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first. And Moses... I want you to just just make note of these words. I I like these words. And look, I struggle with this. and And I work on it. To, but, but I want you, you're just, you, you're never going to get away from this in the Bible. Moses rose up early in the morning. Just, just learn to deal with it. Just embrace it. Just realize that every godly man in the Bible, as far as I can tell, from Abraham, from Moses, from Joshua, from da- uh, Daniel, from David, from the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, every godly man in the Bible, I'm just amazed how consistent the Bible, oh, God just seems to always want to highlight for us the fact that they get up early in the morning. Just just learn to deal with it. I know you, you, say, you, you may say it like that, your flesh says, I don't want to hear that. Look, you would accomplish more in life if you develop a character and develop a discipline to just get up early in the morning. Say, well, can I read the Bible at night? You can read the Bible whenever you want. But you know what? When you get up early in the morning, you know, you're, you're doing two spiritual things. Number one, you're reading the Bible, but number two, you're defying your flesh. You're developing character and discipline. And I just, you know, I read those things and it, it hits me. It makes me think, man, good night. I got to get up early. Moses rose up early in the morning. Look at verse 5. Say, what is the point of meeting with God? Why did he go there? Well, look at this. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him 
and proclaimed, this is God speaking about Himself, He said, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. So God, they meet with God and God begins to speak to them about His goodness, about His forgiving. Look at verse 7. Mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin. And look at verse 8. And Moses made haste. As soon as he heard God speaking, that means he quickly, look what it says, Moses made haste, verse 8, and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Do you see that? Say, what is the purpose of getting up early in the morning? And what is the purpose of getting alone with God? And what is the purpose of developing a a, a life of multiple, just having character of of meeting with God on a regular basis? Here's here's, Here's the key word, worship. Now let me explain to you something. This word worship has been abused by the charismatic Christian ecumenical movement today. And, and I, I'm just amazed by the fact that it just seems like today that, that the Bible doesn't matter, words doesn't matter. People just want to take words and make them mean whatever they want. Today, you mention worship to the average Christian. And here's what they talk to you about. Music. I mean, the average person, you talk, you guys, you know, every day, I mean, every time I'm on Soul, not every time, but a lot of times when we're on Soul, people ask, what type of praise and worship do you guys have? And I also want to say to people, you know, worship is something you ought to do on your own. In a prayer closet somewhere. Because, and I, and I don't have time to develop this, but I'm just going to, I'll just give you a little, a little Bible study assignment, if, if you dare, open your Bible. And just look up every time the word worship comes up in the Bible. Every single time. Do it. That's how you, that's how you ought to study the Bible. Well, I'm going to pick up a book about worship. And it's going to tell me, well, I don't understand why people, they say, I'm going to study the Bible, and then they go pick up a book. <laughs> If you're going to study the Bible, wouldn't you pick up the Bible? Amen. <laughs> but go grab a Bible, if you want to do a Bible study, and look up the word worship. And I promise you, every time you find the, first, well, the word worship, you know what you're going to find? People bowing, people praying, people on their knees. You will never find in scriptures people singing and calling that worship. Now I don't tell you, oh, the worship service, the worship was... You know, like, you know, why don't we just get away from man man's definitions and let the Bible define itself. Worship in the Bible is never music. And usually, and, and I don't like the word, you know, the term praise and worship, because they're usually referring to worldly type music with Christian words to it. They're usually talking, let me just break it down to you. Praise and worship music is usually very shallow. Usually does not have a lot of Bible in it. You're usually just repeating the same word 50 times. They call that worship. Lord, we lift your name on high. How many times did you sing that same song? Like a hundred times? I don't even know the rest of them. I didn't grow up in it. You know what I like about these old hymns? See, our hymns, and here's what you understand. Did you know that the book of Psalms is a hymn book? In the, in the Old Testament, when they, had a, uh, when they had a church service, you know how we get up and we say, take your song books and go to page number 34? They used to get up and say, take your psalm book and go to Psalm 34. And they would sing those songs. And guess what? Their songs were filled with doctrine. Their songs were filled with verses. Their songs were filled, they were meant to instruct and to teach. That's what I like about our hymns. 
You read our hymns and they're teaching you Bible. They're telling you to go soul winning. They're telling you, blessed assurance, Jesus is right. Oh, what a foresight of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchased with blood, born of the Spirit, filled with His love. This is my story. Hey, that's doctrine. That's better than our God is an awesome God. I think we all understand that. Who would disagree with our God is an awesome God? I think we all get that. Do we have to sing it 150 times? But we call that today worship. When the Bible doesn't call that worship. You say, you say I want to have a worship service. Get on your knees. Pray. Amen. Read your Bible. That's it. Don't get in a crowd somewhere and try to show off how good you can dance. Get along with God. And that's what God calls worship. Yeah. He said, you say, what's the purpose of reading, my, of reading my Bible? And what's the purpose of getting up early? What's the purpose of getting along with God? To worship God. Because as you read the Bible and you see how great God is. And you bow on your knees and you pray. That's what God calls worship. Look at it. Yeah. Look at verse... Uh, which verse was it that I wanted you to see? Uh, let's see, verse number 5. No, verse number 8. And Moses made haste. I just want you to see this, because you, if you study that word worship, you'll find this every single time. Moses made haste, bowed his head toward the earth, and worshipped. Do you see that? Bowed his head towards the earth. That means he got, you, you know what bowed his head toward the earth means? He put his head down on the ground. And he worshipped. And, and I'm just trying to explain to you, we need to have a revolution back to the Bible where we allow the Bible to define words for us. Where we allow the Bible... You say, I want to worship. And people, I want to, I want to worship. Let's have a rock concert. Hey, if you want to have a worship service, why don't we come here and pray for an hour? Down on our knees, our heads down on the ground as we worship God together. You don't, see, you're not going to get Joel Osteen's crowd to come out for that. You're not going to get a thousand people to come. You'll get a thousand people to come out for a rock concert. You know the world does that? You know that there's worldly rock bands that get a thousand. I mean, people. Are, I'm supposed to be impressed when these churches have ten thousand people show up for a five minute sermonette and a rock concert. The world has rock concerts with thousands of people in them. You get people to show up to worship God, true Bible worship. That'd be amazing. That'd be a revival. Say, so why do we meet with God for worship? Biblical worship, down on our knees and prayer. But I want you to see when Moses. Meets with God, Moses pleads with God. Look at verse 9. And he said, now this is Moses. He said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee. Notice he's praying. And the word pray, by the way, if you want to study that out, means to ask. You're not praying if you're not asking. Every time we pray, we ought to be asking God for something. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you ought to be asking only for yourself. So often our prayer times are so selfish. They're about only us. We've seen Moses pray to God and he's an, inter- an interceder. He's inter- in an intercession. He's asking for other people. But note- And we'll see this again here in a second. But notice what he's asking for. He says, I pray thee, go amongst us. Remember what the big deal was in chapter 33? What was the big deal? They didn't have the presence of God. Do you remember that? The tabernacle went out without the camp. And now Moses has his daily time with God. In the morning by himself, he's worshiping God. And then he begins to pray. And here's what he prays. And by the way, this is what you ought to be praying for. This is what you should be getting out of your time with God. You ought to be asking for God's presence. He said, go amongst us. For it is a stiff-necked people. He asked for God's presence. I want you to see this. And he asked for God's pardon. Look what it says. And pardon our iniquities and our sins. 
and take us for thine inheritance. You know why we need to develop a time where we get along with God? Here's why. Every day we need to be asking for God's presence, and every day we need to be asking for God's pardon. And if you're foolish enough to think that you're such a good person that you... Well, I don't sin every day. You sin every... You you probably sin every 30 minutes. (laughs) And every day... We ought to be getting along with God and confessing our sins. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Say, what do I need time alone with God for to worship God? What do I need time alone to plead for His presence? Look, let me tell you something. I don't know if we understand this, but we need God's presence in our lives. I, I cannot pastor. I cannot father. I cannot be a husband. I cannot be a friend. I cannot do anything unless God you go with me. He asked for God's presence. He asked for God's pardon. But notice, and here's what you understand. Because up to this point, up to this point, we're good, right? Worship, pray, ask God for certain things. But notice, God says, okay, Moses, you want a few things? I want a few things too. See, let me teach you something. The Bible teaches this principle, I know you know it, that you reap what you sow. And so often, we want God to give us our request, but so often we refuse to give God His request. You know that God has prayers for you? I'm not going to take time to show it to you, but you know that in the book of John, the Lord Jesus Christ bowed on his, got on His knees and prayed, not for His generation, but future generations. Do you know who that is? That's you and I. And you know what His prayer was? That they might be soul winners. He didn't use that term. He didn't use the term soul winners, but he he said, "Lord, I pray for those that they would preach the gospel." Would, you know that God prayed that you would preach the gospel to somebody. Now, here's a question I, I always tell people: Why would God answer your prayer request if you won't answer His prayer request? Amen. Maybe, maybe you say, I've been praying that God will just take care of this one situation. I've got this situation with my health. Or I've got this situation with my finances. Or I've got this situation with my family. Or I've got, and look, I believe in prayer. We ought to pray those things. But maybe God is just waiting and saying, as soon as you answer mine, I'll answer yours. Maybe God is saying, well, you reap what you sow. You won't answer my prayer. Maybe I'm not going to answer yours. See, Moses says, I want your presence. Moses says, I want your pardon. And God says, okay, well, I've got, I want a few things too. He says, I've got a list of things I like. Look at verse 13. He says, but ye shall destroy their altars. Actually, look at, look at verse uh, look at verse 10. Verse 10, I'm sorry. And he said, so notice, God's responding back to Moses. And he said, behold, I make a covenant. He says, look, I'll go into a deal with you. A covenant, that's what the word covenant means, like a contract. He says, I'm establishing a relationship here. He says, I make a, he says, behold, I make a covenant. Before all thy people I will do marvels, such as have not been done in all that the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among which thou art uh, shall see the work of the Lord. For it is a terrible thing that I will do unto thee. Observe thou that which I command thee this day. Behold, I drive out before thee the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the, the, Jebus, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Talking about, I'm going to destroy your enemies. Look at verse 12. Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whether thou goest, lest it be a snare in the midst of 
something. Now, I want you to understand this. God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to establish a relationship with you. I'm going to go into a deal with you. But in verse 12, he says, take heed. You know what that means? He says, be careful. He says, be careful. Lest, that word lest means unless, thou make a covenant. He says, he says, be careful unless you go into a contract, unless you go into a relationship with who? With the inhabitants of the land. You see that? Whether thou goest. He says, be careful that you don't establish a relationship with the people in the land that you're going. The, by the way, the land that I'm going to give you, the land that I'm going to remove the Hivite and the Jebusite and the Hittite and the Perizzite. He says, I want you to be careful not to establish a relationship. Why? Look at last part of verse 12. Lest, that word it means unless, he says, unless it be a snare. Do you know what the word snare means? It means a trap. He says, lest it be a trap in the midst of thee. Do you see that? See, we want God's presence, and we want God's pardon, but you know what God wants from you? Separation. Amen. He, says, I, he said, I don't want you to go into this land and establish a relationship with ungodly, unsaved, worldly people. He says, it's going to be a, a snare. He says, it's going to be a trap. He says, it's going to be something that's not going to work out for you. Look at, Just skip down to verse 15. We'll go back to verse 14 in a second. Look at verse 15. He says, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go a-whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods, and one call thee, and thou eat of his sacrifice, and thou take of their daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go a-whoring after their gods, and make thy sons go a-whoring after their gods. He says, look, I don't want you to establish a relationship with these people. He says, I'll be in your presence, but I won't be in your presence while you're in the presence of these people. Let me, let me just break it down for you. God expects, keep your finger there in Exodus 34. Go back to, uh, to 2 Corinthians real quickly. In the New Testament there, 2 Corinthians. God, you say, I want God to answer my prayers. Well, God has a prayer for you. And that prayer is that you'd be a separated people. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we looked at these verses before, but I just want you to see them again. Very interesting verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse number 14. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse 14. The Bible says, Be ye not, that's a command by the way, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You see that? The Bible says, You ought not be yoked with unbelievers. Now look. That word yoke there is talking about establishing a relationship where you are now partnered with an unbeliever. You say, what is that talking about? Well, that's talking about marriage. But I also believe that's talking about business dealings. I also believe that's talking about friendships. I, I believe that's anytime you... You know what the word yoke means? You know, in, the, in this time, it, 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 when they would take oxen and they would plow the ground, what they would do is to keep the oxen strong um, from slipping and stuff like that. They would take two oxen and they would put a piece of wood around their necks that would really clasp them together so that they could not separate. And the idea was that as they were plowing the field, if one of their, you know, their, their hooves began to slip and maybe began to fall, the other one would kind of help them up and help them go. And God says that ye ought not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So why is that? Well, the Bible tells us in the book of Amos, can two walk together unless they be agreed? See, how can I get yoked up with an unbeliever when I'm going one way and they're going the other way? God says you ought to yoke up with people that are going in the same direction as you are. You ought to yoke up with people that love God like you love God. That are saved like you're saved. That are reading the Bible like you're reading the Bible. That are praying like you're praying. That are trying to be holy and separate like you are. Amen. 
together with unbelievers. Look what it says. Look at verse 14. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? Well, I'm just going to go be friends with so-and-so. Well, how, how much fellowship can you have? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Bilal? You know what the word Bilal means? That's a reference to Satan. He says, what concord does Christ have with Satan? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them. See, he says, I will dwell in them. He says, you're the temple of the living God. He says, when you got saved, I indwelled you. I, you became my temple, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And God says, I will be your presence, but while I'm in your presence, don't yoke up with people that are against me. Look at verse 17. Wherefore, Come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and such not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So you say, well, I want God's presence, and I want God's pardon. And God says, I want to give you my presence, and I want to give you my pardon, but I'm going to ask you a few things for myself. And he says, I want separation. He wants personal separation. Number two, uh, we're going to come back to the New Testament, so if you want to keep your finger there. But, but go back to Exodus 35. we got to do this quickly. Look at verse uh, number uh, 13. Exodus chapter 34. Look at verse number 13. He says, but ye... No, notice what it says. Exodus uh, 34, 13. But ye shall destroy their altars. Okay? That was a place of worship. He's talking about the infidels here. He's talking about the people in the land of Canaan. He says, but ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves. You see that? He said, I want you to walk in and take their idols and destroy them. I want you to take their altars and destroy them. I want you to take their groves, which is where they worship, and destroy them. Look at verse um, 18. I'm sorry, not 18. Verse number 17. Thou shalt make thee no molten gods. You see that? Now go back in your New Testament to Romans chapter number 16. If you're there in 2 Corinthians, you want to go towards the left in your Bible, past 1 Corinthians, and then to the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 16. Romans chapter number 16. Now here's what I want you to understand. God wants from you, God expects from you, personal separation. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. But God also expects religious separation. Did you notice what he said? He said, go in there and get rid of their false religion. He said, go in there and break their idols. Go in there and cut down their groves. Go in there and destroy their altars. And you know, sometimes people come to a church like Mary Baptist Church, and they get upset with us because maybe we take a stand, because we take a stand for the Word of God, and we take a stand for the things of God, and we take a stand for the doctrine of God. Look, sometimes when you take a stand for truth, you've got to fight against lies. Do you understand that? You know that you cannot love... Jack Howes used to say this. You cannot love roses without hating weeds. You say, I'm going to have a garden and I'm going to plant a, a, a garden. It's going to be a beautiful garden. Well, you're going to have to hate a few things. You see, you, you cannot love something without sometimes hating other things. Do you understand that? I love my children, so I hate the predator. You say, well, we ought to love everybody. The Bible says love your enemies. But I don't know about loving everybody. There's some people that the Bible says, I mean... David said in the book of Psalms, I hate them with a perfect hatred. He said, he said, and then he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. He said, there are people that I hate, and he said, I have a clear conscience about it. Not because he hated his enemies. Remember, David was the man that wouldn't even kill Saul when God delivered him to sin. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Saul was killing him. Saul was, was hunting him like a dog. Mm-hmm. 
And when, when Saul, when David found himself in a cave and Saul was there and David could have killed him, he refused to lay his hand against God's anointed. David did not hate his enemies. But you know who David did hate? God's enemies. Amen. And sometimes there are people who hate God, and, and we ought to be careful with that. I understand that. But there is a such thing as hating with a perfect hatred. That's a sermon for another day. I'll explain that another time. If you don't understand that. But I, what I'm trying to say is this. We ought to, when you take a stand for righteousness, sometimes you've got to preach against unrighteousness. Amen. When you take a stand for truth, you've got to preach against lies. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter, God said to the children of Israel, go in there and get rid of their false doctrine. And in Romans chapter number 16, look at what it says. Before you write me off and you don't listen, look at what it says, Romans 16. Look at verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, this is, the, this is the, uh, the Apostle Paul speaking in the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. We know it's God speaking through us. He says, now I beseech you, brethren, look what he says. Mark them, do you see that? Which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which we have learned. Did you, did you see that? He says, when people come around and they begin to cause divisions, okay, divisions mean they're dividing people, or when they're starting to offend people, Contrary, the word contrary means against the doctrines which we have learned. He says, I want you to mark them. And he says, here's why I want you to mark them. For the purposes of, look at the last part of verse 17, avoid them. You see that? See, the Bible tells us that every once in a while, we need to, when people are teaching false doctrine, and they're attempting to attack our church, or attack our people, or attack, uh, attack what we believe, when they're going contrary to the doctrine which we have been taught, hey, we're supposed to mark them for the purpose of avoiding them. Well, I don't like you naming so-and-so, and I don't think you ought to name Joel Osteen, and I don't think... It... Look, Joel Osteen says that... It, Joel Osteen is documented, you can look it up on YouTube if you want, said that there is no hell. Now look, the Bible says there's a hell. Ah, there's no real hell, it's just a place, it's a, it's a figurative speech. There's no real hell. I don't like to preach against sin, or, or I don't like to preach against the wrath of God. I don't like, you know, uh, Jesus preached a lot about hell. And Jesus preached a lot about sin. And Jesus preached a lot about judgment. Joel Osteen says, well, I'm just a life coach. Then go be a life coach somewhere else, but don't stand up behind the pulpit and call yourself a man of God and not preach against the things that God preaches. Well, I don't. You say, well, well, you say that. Well, look, Joel Osteen put himself in that situation when he brings, when he puts himself across all the TVs across the country and he's influencing our people. Then we've got to mark them so we can avoid them. That's right. Say, well, let, let people figure it out. No, people won't figure it out. No, they'll get deceived and they'll go off and thinking, that's right. You know, when, when people like Harold Camping get up and say, the church age is over, and I don't even believe in church ages, but the church age is over, uh, Jesus is coming, remember he was saying in April, Jesus is coming, and this and that. You know, it is my job as a preacher of the Word of God to stand up and say, now listen folks, that guy, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Let me prove to you from the Bible why he doesn't know what he's talking about. Do you remember when I preached a whole sermon and th- uh, on that whole end times thing? Why? Because it's my job to teach you the Bible, and when someone comes in and tries to fight against the doctrines we taught, the Bible tells us we ought to mark them for the purposes of avoiding them. We've got to explain to you what's wrong with it so that you don't get sucked into the lie. That's what it says. God expects from you separation, personal separation, religious separation. We're almost done. Go back to Exodus 34. We're almost done. We'll be done in five minutes. Okay, maybe ten minutes. Okay, fifteen. No, I'm just kidding. Ten minutes. Ten minutes. Exodus 34. Ten minutes. Can I have ten minutes? If we do, if, see, if you would agree faster, we could have done in eight minutes. Exodus 34. Look at verse 18. Quickly. God wants from you 
separation, but God wants from you sacrifice. Look at it. Exodus 34, verse 18. The feast of unleavened bread thou shalt keep. Talking about a sacrifice. Seven days thou shalt eat unleavened bread, and command thee in the time of the month Abib, and in the month Abib thou shalt, that thou camest out from Egypt. Referring to the Passover. But that was a sacrifice. Verse 19. All that openeth the matrix is mine, and every firstling among thy cattle, whether ox or sheep, that is male. But the firstlings of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb, and if thou redeem him not, then thou shalt break his neck. He's talking about sacrificing one thing for another. Look at verse, uh, last part of verse 20. All the firstborn of thy sons thou shalt redeem, and none shall appear before me empty. He says you have a firstborn son, that son belongs to God, because everything that's first belongs to God. But he says, I'm not going to make you sacrifice your son, so you can substitute him with an animal, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are supposed to die, and He substituted for us. Verse 21, Six days thou shalt work, on the seventh day thou shalt uh, rest, in earing time, and in harvest, and thou shalt rest. See, God wants us to be a sacrificial people. Sacrifices begin with the Passover. What is that a picture of? Salvation. But then He wants us to be people that sacrifice. Look at verse 22. I always think this is interesting. And thou shalt observe the Feast of Weeks, Okay? So he says, I want you to observe the Feast of Weeks. What is the Feast of Weeks? Of the first fruit of wheat harvest. Do you see that? So he says, the first fruit of wheat harvest is this. He says, when you're harvesting the wheat, he says, and you get that first fruit, you get that first batch, because, see, we're told by farmers, and we're told by the Bible, that when you harvest an area, you do it in three phases. You get the first fruits, which is the things that ripe first. Usually it's not the big batch, it's just the things that are done early. You go through and you... Harvest that up. Then you've got your big batch. The big, you know, just the big harvest. And then at the end you go back and then you just get everything you miss. So you do it in three phases. He says when you're starting to harvest and you get that first phase, he says I want you to take some time out and have the feast of weeks of the first fruits of the wheat harvest. And, he says, the feast of the end gatherings at the year's end. So he says when you start to harvest... Have a feast and sacrifice your first fruits. And he says, have your harvest. And then at the end of the year, when you're doing that last little harvest, he said, I want you to have another feast. Look at verse 23. Thrice in a year shall all men and children appear before the Lord uh, God and God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before thee and enlarge thy borders. Neither shall any man desire thy land when thou shalt go up to appear before the Lord thy God. Thrice in the year. You say, uh, uh, let me see if I want to... Show you another verse here. Look at verse 25. Thou shalt not offer the blood of the sacrifice with leaven, neither shalt thou sacrifice the feast of the Passover uh, be left unto the morning. What I wanted to tell you about that, the sacrifice is this. Um, when you're working, when you've got a harvest and you've got to get it done, you know, oftentimes when you're working and you're making money, the temptation is to just skip everything else and let's just get this done so we can make money. You understand what I'm saying? And God would say, now hold on a second. I know you're worried in making money because you got to bring the harvest in. But he said, I want you to take a week and just sacrifice at the beginning. Before you make all your money for the year, just do me some sacrifice. And he said that at the end, when you're in a rush to get it all done and get it all to market, you know, get it all sold, he said, just take a week and sacrifice. Now the temptation is, well, God, i got a lot of work to do. But here's what God's trying to teach the people. He says, before you make money, honor God. And once you make money, honor God. You know what he's saying? Honor God. You know what he's saying? Acknowledge God. You know what he's saying? Sacrifice to God. You know what he's saying? We ought to have a sacrificial heart where we understand that it is God that gives us the power to, build, to make wealth. Amen. Well, what's he saying? He says, I want you to be separated. And by the way, when you're separated from the world, it's not that you're separated from the world, 
only you're separated unto God. And then then He wants you to sacrifice. Moses needed to get out of his relationship with God, presence of God and the pardon of God, and God needed to get out of the relationship with Moses, a separated individual and a sacrificial individual. Let me just give you the last point, and we're done. Look at verse number 29. And it came to pass when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai, so he's done having his time with God, with the two tables of the testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not. That term wist not means he did not know. Keep that in mind. Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. This is a miracle that happened in the Bible. He spent so much time with God. And by the way, the Bible tells us there in verse 28 that he spent 40 days and 40 nights. The second 40 days and 40 nights he spent with God. He didn't drink water or have any bread. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And he didn't have water, so we know it was a miracle that God upheld him. Because you couldn't live. You could live 40 days without food. You could not live 40 days without water. But while he was there, he showed. Now here's what you got to understand. And I don't have time to develop this. But the Bible tells us that when we get to heaven, we get our glorified bodies, we're going to shine. You understand that? You can study out in the Bible. I don't have time to develop it. Just giving you some seed thoughts here for you to do your own Bible study. The Bible says that our glorified bodies will shine. And in Daniel, just to give you something to think about, the Bible tells us in the book of Daniel that based on how many people you got saved is how bright you will shine. Isn't that amazing? Study that out in Daniel. Now, look... I'm afraid that some of you are going to, you know, you're going to be the dim light in heaven. You're going to be the night light. <laughs> you're going to be like the, the, they're going to ask you to like stand in children's rooms so that they're not afraid. <laughs> you're bright enough to keep me safe, but not bright enough to really affect my sleep. I, I want to be so bright that people are like, oh man, good night. You know? And by the way, who's the source of everybody's salvation? Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that there will be no sun in heaven because the Lord Jesus Christ Himself will provide the sunlight. That's right. So He'll be the, the shiniest one of all. Because we're all saved because of Him. But the Bible tells us that. Study it out. One of these days I'm going to preach a sermon entitled Dim Light Christianity. <laughs> Night Light Christianity. But Moses, the Bible said here, God performed a miracle where He shone Okay, look at verse 30. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. So they saw him come down, they're like, whoa, he's shining. And they were afraid, they're like, what's going on? Look at verse 31. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him, and Moses talked with them. And afterwards all the children of Israel came nigh and he gave them in commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him in the Mount Sinai. And till Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. Do you see that? He had to cover his face because his face shone so bright. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out and came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which uh, he uh, was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went to speak with him. Now here's what, I'm trying to, what I want you to get from this. Okay, go to Acts chapter 4. That's the last place we're going to go to. In your New Testament, Acts chapter number 4. Moses met with God. When did he meet with God? Early in the morning. When did he meet with God? When he was alone. When did he meet with God? On a regular basis. He went to God and Moses got out of his relationship with God. The presence of God and the pardon of God. God got out of their relationship. Separation and sacrifice. But here's what I just said. When Moses came down from the mount they could see that he'd been with God. Yes. 
Now here's the thing. You say, Pastor, if I have Bible time, am I going to shine? No. <laughs> it's just a picture. But you know that as we spend time with God and we spend relationship with God and we pray and we're, we memorize the Bible and, and we read the Bible, people ought to be able to tell yeah. that you spend time with God. Now, here's, now please understand this, okay? Amen. Moses was not that his face shone. You know what that means? Moses didn't know, but they all knew. So you know, you know what the kind of Christian you ought not be? The kind of Christian that's always talking about how spiritual they are. You know what that kind of Christian, that turns people off. Mm-hmm. When you've got to walk into places and tell people, oh, I read my Bible all the time. I pray all the time. God, man, I'm, I'm the most spiritual person in my church. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just see, you know, if you knew how much time I spent in prayer this week, if you got to tell people that, you know, people ought to know that you know God. That's right. People ought to know you have a love for God. You're there in, in Acts chapter 4, look at verse 13. Look what it says. Now when they saw, Acts chapter 4, look at verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. I love this verse. They saw the boldness of Peter and John. They were preaching with power. They were preaching with boldness. And perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They said, why are these guys speaking with such authority? Those guys are unlearned and ignorant. No, notice, they marveled. They're like, whoa. These guys are not educated. These guys are unlearned. These guys are ignorant. They're speaking with boldness. They're speaking with authority. Notice what it says. They marveled and they took knowledge of them. Look at the last part of verse 13. That they had been with Jesus. Amen. You know that people could tell? When they saw John and, and Peter ministering, they said, Wow, I can tell those guys have spent time with Jesus. You know that when Moses came down that mount, he was not that his face shone. He didn't know. But as he came down, people were like, whoa, we can tell he spent time with God. You know what my prayer is for our church? Is that we would have a group of people that would be so spiritual and so separated and so sacrificial that this community could not help but tell that there is a place in this community where people have spent time with God. So at the church service, we ought to spend time with God at the church service. But in our personal daily walks, every day, let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Father, we love you Lord so much for our church. And Lord, I pray that you'd please use the message tonight. And Lord, I know that I'm not perfect and I make mistakes and I say things I shouldn't say sometimes. But Father, I just pray you'd bless the words and more importantly than that, bless your word and that you'd use it in our lives. We love you, Father, in your precious name I pray. Amen.